Father, we bow our heads and we humble our hearts before you, asking that you would provide some additional instruction this morning, that as we look at your word, we would be impressed, we would be in awe of how you have established yourself in our hearing and in our sight on this planet and how you set everything in motion so that we would understand clearly our options for eternity. We ask, Lord, as we look at the anointing oil and the Sabbath and the regulations that you were giving to the Israelites when they were heading into the wilderness, that, Father, wisdom would be the prevalent thing that we walk away with and understanding. So please do this. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide and direct in Jesus' name. Amen. We left off with the anointing oil. I know I read through it, but I just wanted to touch on it, how there was a specific recipe for this anointing oil that was to be used for the administration of the tabernacle and the anointing of the priests when they would go and serve the Lord. And this recipe was not to be in any way copied or used for personal use. And, of course, this would have been a temptation for the Israelites. They would have wanted to have smelled this and because I'm sure it was a wonderful fragrance and probably wanted to use it for themselves. And, and God said, no, this is exclusively for God. This item of worship is not to be adulterated in any way, but it's always to be holy unto the people. And the anointing oil was intended as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The idea of anointing with oil has long since been a confusing subject. When I did some research on this, there are people that are just, they're not just upset about it, they're angry about it, about the use of oil and what do you think it is and can you use mortal oil? Do you have to use olive oil or what kind of oil do you have to use and what was the original purpose of it? And they'd go in to say, well, it was originally for sheep that they'd put oil around the head of the sheep to keep the ticks and lice up away from the ears and it would be a, a source of medication, so to speak, a preventative medication for the sheep to keep them healthy, even though the rest of their body may be completely affected it it kept them out of the eyes and out of the ears and so that's how it began at least one person said that another person was going into how we ought not to do this at all and it's not snake oil you know it doesn't heal you and we, we get that it's supposed to be this idea of the holy spirit when oil unlike water water can splash on you and it you may be immersed in it but oil it covers everything and it remains Water evaporates away, but the Holy Spirit, he indwells us and he remains. And this anointing of oil was always for the purposes of a blessing. It was a sign of wellness or good fortune. It was a sign of help or healing or preparedness or protection or empowerment. That's what the anointing of oil meant. There are examples given of this in Scripture. Mark chapter 6, verse 13, the disciples anointed the sick to heal them. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, Mary anoints Jesus' feet as an act of worship. James chapter 5, verse 14, talks about let them call for the elders of the church, those who are sick, for the anointing of oil and the prayer of faith will make them whole. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, uh, God the Father is talking about Jesus Christ, and he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And God anoints Jesus with the oil of gladness. And so this idea of having the Holy Spirit 
inside of us and the oil representing us, that means having fullness of life and joy and gladness and strength and empowerment, all of those things. And it's good. Uh, Even the kind of jaded King Solomon, when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. And he goes on to state, because that's all you're going to get in this meaningless life. You know, it's like... Do the anointing of oil, that's good. You know, and make sure you're wearing white and you're clean and you're happy and all of those things. But our life basically is meaningless because we don't get to take anything with us whatsoever except what is meant to bring glory to God. That's the only thing that we take with us. And everything down here is so temporal and we miss that application. Oftentimes we're so concerned about us and our life in the immediate. And... I'm including me in this. I'm worried about my life and what I'm doing, and I fail to focus completely on God. And one of the words we heard again this weekend, a couple of words, reckless abandon, uh, serving Christ with reckless abandon. No matter what he wants, we need to submit to that, not because we have to, but because we get the privilege to do so. Also in Psalm chapter 23, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And you can see that that means a blessing. Psalm 45, verse 7, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So wherever you see it in scripture, this oil is a good thing. Even Jesus in his ministry when it began. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 says, because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the afflicted. And so we want to be anointed with God's Holy Spirit. If you take somebody and you can do this, if they're going to be set out to ministry somewhere, you anoint them with oil and you send them out. If somebody is sick and you want to bring them forward, you want to anoint them with oil, anoint them with oil. That's, that's good. It's, it's a sign of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in the oil that cures the person. The thing that cures somebody is their faith. And God's willingness. God has to be willing to do so. Sometimes he's not willing to do so. It's not the oil. The oil is just simply you're representing that the Holy Spirit may blessing be upon you. May the Holy Spirit fill you and may he heal you and all of those things that go along with it. And so when the high priest was anointed, it's like he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going in doing the work of the Lord. And so that's what it means. We want to make sure we don't assign a quote-unquote medicinal purpose to it, although that was used at some point for different reasons in the Old and New Testament. We just want to make sure that we understand it's symbolic. It's just like in communion. The body and blood of Christ, contrary to some doctrines in some churches, do not turn into the actual body and blood of Christ. We see it as the fruit of the vine. It's grape juice. It's matzah bread. We are simply remembering what it speaks to, the reality of Christ's body given for us or his blood being spilled. That's what scripture was intended to portray to us and we need to walk away with that understanding. So this anointing with oil, it's mentioned 20 times in scripture. It was used in the Old Testament for pouring on the head of the high priest and his descendants and I've given you all of those confines in which it was used and it was a test for the Israelites and a demonstration of the absolute holiness of God. That this was from him, 
for him, to be dedicated to him. It's sanctified for him. And as we get anointed, we are the ones that are sanctified for him as well. Now going on here, we have the gifting by the Spirit in chapter 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make him make artistic designs for the work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony with the atonement cover on it and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all of its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron and are the priests and the garments of his sons when they serve as priests and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. So in this particular passage, we have what has been termed the gift of craftsmanship. That God specially imbued these two men plus others. And it says all these craftsmen there, all these men have been gifted in order to construct whatever it is God wants them to do. So this is a gift that is given by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought that the gift that is given, this craftsmanship, actually comes from God? It's not something that we can be trained in. We can to some degree, but you will not be excellent at it except by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's where God takes a natural ability and he provides a supernatural capability. And that's what he did in this particular place. Now, what has God done here according to his word? I kind of tried to emphasize it as I was going through these verses. He says, I have chosen, I have filled, and I have skilled. Which means he has chosen somebody for a position to do a particular job. He has filled them so that they might have passion for that job. And he has skilled them to produce a product or several products. He does the same thing for us because he has a purpose. At the end of this, he has purposed for us to follow a particular pursuit. All of us in here have a particular gift. Some of you may have the gift of craftsmanship. Some of you may have the gift of encouragement. Some of you may have the gift of teaching. But God has filled us for the purposes of working this up in our lives so that we can become skilled at it which he also provides the outline for. If you have a particular gift, God has probably started you in that gift at a young age where you are able to have a propensity for whatever it is. Like, for instance, you know these computer programmers? Daryl, how many languages of computer programming are there? Dozens? Like there's C++ and C++ and a few others, right? And it's a completely different language. And some people look at that. I remember this one guy named Tom. He actually used to work on our soundboard a little bit. But Tom, he had a knack for this stuff. He could program something. He goes, yeah, I didn't have a TiVo, so I decided to make my own, and I programmed it to 
cover whatever I wanted to cover, and I put some chips in. You could probably do that, Daryl. Put some chips in there, and it works just great. And he programmed, he wrote the program, the software for it, and it's running like a top. He goes, yeah, it's, you know, it's easy. Are you kidding me? Something like that? No, that is not easy. But he had this particular bent. And so he was working with the audiovisual and the technical and all of that. And that's what he would do for us. And I think he's still doing that same thing today. But he was gifted in that direction. Or the gift of encouragement. You know somebody who has the gift of encouragement. They didn't start out with just a fantastic gift. They had to use it. And fail sometimes and get up and use it again and find success and go, that works. I'm going to continue to do that. Then they get all excited about it. And then when they encourage somebody, they go, it was great. I talked to them there and so encouraged and I feel wonderful. And it's because God used them in that gift. When you have the gift of craftsmanship and you make something or you create something, the person that does that steps back and goes, that's awesome. And they don't say it because I'm awesome. They say it because... It's awesome. God gave the person the ability and they could just go, wow, it's, that's marvelous. We can see works of art out there. We can see construction things that are made and we just go, wow, didn't know we could do this. Like the bridges that are being built now, the gl- glass bridge over in China that you walk on, you look at it and go, who made this thing? You know, a bunch of people just engineered it. They have this particular gift. Now there's this worldly side to using this gift and there is a spiritual side to using this gift now there are people in the world that are gifted in all kinds of things god has given us just natural abilities being natural people that is going to be used in the world and you don't have to be a believer at all you don't have to be a jew you don't have to be a christian or anything god just imbues us with these talents and abilities because we are created in the image of god and so there's going to be order in our lives whenever we see something that is ordered and magnificent we stand back and we go wow That is good. When we see something that is decaying and out of order and in disarray, we go, it's a shame. But our God is a God of order. And so this gift of craftsmanship was necessary. Somebody is called to a position. Someone was given the passion for it by the filling of the Spirit to produce a product that God wanted produced. And they were to make this this thing, this lifelong ambition, their pursuit. That's what they were supposed to do. Since they were chosen this way, We have also been chosen. We have also been filled. We have also been skilled. And we have been purposed. Now, you might say, well, I don't do any of those things. When somebody gets good at riding a bicycle and enters races, do you think they started on a tricycle? More than likely, they did. And they had training wheels, right? And their father or mother or friend helped them with that, and they rode along. And pretty soon, you turn into somebody like uh, Mr. Armstrong, but you don't want to do the doping up or anything like that. You just want to do what you're supposed to do, and you win, and it's all good. And some people are really gifted in that. But you have to go through a period of training, right? If you don't go through the training, you're not going to be gifted like God wants us to be gifted. In training, do you make mistakes? You make mistakes. It happens. For those of you who ever took wood shop, remember they probably gave you a block of mahogany two inches thick, and they said, you're going to make a bowl. You're going to carve the bowl with some chisels and a mallet, and you're going to round it out, and you're going to cut it out of the bandsaw, and then you're going to put oil on it or varnish on it, and you're going to take it home and say, here, Mom, here's a bowl I made for you, a wooden bowl, right? And, and so you do that, and your first one, I remember going through wood shop, and people would get in there, and they'd, 
pack that thing down with the chisel and they go right through the bottom of it and the whole block of wood was just ruined. How many mistakes were made like that in 7th and 8th and ninth grade? Tons of mistakes. Or they're cutting something on the bandsaw and it hits a knot and you and something flies through a window, you know, the knot flies out of there. All kinds of mistakes made or in welding and metal. You put it together and you think it's set right and you weld it and it's not right. And then you got to cut it and you got to redefine it and all of that. And so there's this practice time that we have to go through. Same thing with mathematics. How many times did you go through your times tables? Remember as a kid, at least in our elementary school, they'd set you by the desk. And if you were winning, you would stand by the person who was sitting down at the desk and you had the flashcards up front and the first person to get the flash card right in the times tables they went on to the next and whoever did went all the way through the classroom and was whoever the quickest they were the skilled one they got the prize they got the candy at the end of the time same thing with us in christianity god has called us he has given us his holy spirit he wants to skill us but we have to be willing if we're not willing we're not going to be able to play if you play a musical instrument You can't play it well unless you practice. The more you practice, the better you get. I was listening to Jim Earp on the the, uh, acoustic guitar. I said, I'd like to play like that. I have to get a manicure first, but I'd like to play like that. But that man, I have seen him play. I know who he is. We have talked. He is just fantastic at the guitar because he puts so many hours into it. But what about our Christendom? In our Christendom, do we practice at it? Are we in the word? Do we pray? Do we meet with people? Do we withhold the fellowship? Do we withhold the prayer? Do we withhold the time in the word? Do we withhold going out and actually doing the work and putting our hands to the plow? God wants us, and by the way, when God uses that illustration, if you put your hands to the plow, if the man looks back, he's unworthy or unfit to the kingdom, the whole implication there is you are working for the kingdom whether you turn around or not you pick up the plow now how difficult do you think it is to plow a field with a couple of oxen talk about hard and making those rows straight by way of illustration since you know i'm a gardener and so i would hire guys to cut lawns And I would tell them, this is how you're going to cut a lawn. You're going to go around the outside first after you line trim it. Then you're going to go back a second time, one width over. Then you're going to pick your direction. And the direction changes every single week. Because if you don't, you get graining and rutting inside the lawn. And then I want those lines straight as an arrow. So I'd give them a lawnmower. They go around once. And then the lines, and they would just whine through. And big lawns, you know, if you turned on any MLB game and you saw crooked lines on that ball field, what would be the first thing you would say? Somebody doesn't know what they're doing, right? And so whether it's cutting lawns or it's being active, working for the Lord. And by the way, I'm not signing people up to do something. I am telling you this because this applies to all of us. This doesn't apply to just one of us. No matter where we go, no matter where we end up, if we are here in 10 years, if we are somewhere else in another country 10 years, God wants us grabbing the plow and going forward because it is the blessing. But is it hard? Yes, it's hard. 
It's difficult. If you're doing it right, it will cause you to cry. Even men, it will cause you to cry if you are serving the Lord correctly. Because God will take you right up to the edge. Pastor Chuck used to tell us, in order for God to use you, you have to be broken. You willing to sign up for that? Amen! Yeah, you're not so quick to do that. I don't know if I want to be broken just yet. And sometimes it's physically. Sometimes it's emotionally. Sometimes it's in a relationship or something. God breaks us in order to use us. And you say, well, why does God have to do that? Well, he even says off your body is living sacrifices in Romans, right? What does that mean? You have to die. What? What do you mean I have to die? God just wants me filled with joy all the time. No, which is more blessed, the house where there is joy or the house where there is mourning? Mourning. And you go, that is so contrary to the world. You're right. It is contrary to the world. But it gives us perspective on what we're supposed to be doing. And so if we're doing it right, it's hard. It causes us to mourn and to weep. But we know what is waiting at the end. Now here simply the application is, or the illustration is, these individuals who have this gift to work inside of the tabernacle and get everything prepared. And it was setting up God's sanctuary. We are God's sanctuary. In order to have these tents made, there had to be weaving and stitching and pulling and binding and all of these things. And if we are God's workmanship, there has to be stitching and weaving and binding and pulling and all of these things that has to happen to us as well. And these guys were skilled in it. Who is the one that causes us to be refined? It's Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ comes along and he stretches us. He binds us. He sews us. All of those things. And we're supposed to willingly say, whatever you want, Lord. If you want to make me into a tall vessel of clay, I'll do it. If you want me to make me into a short, fat vessel of clay, you just go ahead and do it. Whatever you want, Lord. If you want to handle over here, see, I'm a teapot, short and stout. You know, whatever God wants to do, we're supposed to say, I am willing, Lord. I want to be available to what you want for me. So these gifts are given to us. Now, you might say, most of you have heard this before, but what gifts are available? Well, There are three major sections in Scripture where these gifts for those in the church are listed. First one is Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And there are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And if you say, well, I'd like to be an apostle. I'd like to do miracles, signs, and wonders. Sorry, it's been taken. If somebody comes along and says they're an apostle, signs that follow an apostle are signs, wonders, and miracles, or things that follow an apostle. Those are the three things. Somebody claims to be an apostle, ask them about their signs, wonders, and miracles that they have performed. Maybe they've raised somebody from the dead. Maybe they've offered another portion of scripture, something like that. And if they have, you can judge it by the rest of scripture and you can see what's going on. I just don't believe that that particular office is here today. Prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, I believe they're all around today. Even the prophets, the prophet office does not begin, cease, and pick up again because we know there are prophets in the tribulation period. And so that's the first section that these particular gifts are listed and certainly we have evangelists and we have pastors and we have teachers and then in romans there's prophesying serving teaching encouraging giving and leadership and mercy all of these things are there what's mercy mercy is where you go up to somebody and you know they've done wrong and instead of judging them and casting them out you have mercy on them and you help them 
you reach down, you pick them up, you say, let me help you. They don't deserve to be helped. None of us do. But that particular person looks at those who are downtrodden, who have ruined their lives, who have gotten themselves in trouble and say, I'm going to help you. I'm going to assist you in whatever you need. And that's just one of the gifts or the gift of giving or the gift of encouragement, teaching, serving. There are people who just want to serve and that's all they want to do. They don't want to be called in front of people. Just let them serve without making a big fuss about it. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. There are the gifts of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. And all these are gifts. And I don't believe it's limited to this. For instance, it's, this one is not listed in Scripture. But people talk about it. The gift of martyrdom. You can only use it once. But it's the, it's the gift of martyrdom. You know, they talk about that. It, it, that can be a gift, some people say. And if it is, God gives us the grace to go through that particular trial. And God's going to use us whenever he wants to use us. There's also, uh, some people say, the gift of music. Now, as far as music is concerned, like, for instance, I play. But I am not a virtuoso on the guitar, neither singing. And I know that. I recognize that. But there are people that are, that I can't hold a candle to, right? And all of us can sing to some degree. Some of us don't even try. But, you know, most of us, we can sing sing to some degree. And those people who are just fantastic at it. And when they sing, you just go... Well, I'm in heaven. You know, this is just so great. The way that they can operate those pipes in their throat and God has gifted them and they've practiced at it. And you just go, I am marveling at your ability. And so God can empower somebody, use them in their skill, have them practice that for years at a time. And by the time they get older, they are completely mature in their particular gift. God wants us to use our gift just like Bezalel and Aholiab. Aholiab, that's how you pronounce his name, I think. And each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. That's First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says, each one should, which means it's up to your will is it god's will that everybody uses their gift yes it is if you choose not to use your gift and by the way it's not using your gift to the degree we want to use our gift it's using our gift to the degree god wants us to use our gift when the master sergeant turns to the private and the private says okay i'm done marching now what does the master sergeant say drop and give me a hundred and we're doing some more right you don't have an option if you are submitted now the person who goes into the military in our country at this particular point does so voluntarily when we get into the lord's army we do so voluntarily we are never drafted we have to sign up for it once we're in it then we say what would you like master sergeant yes sir it's like uh you guys remember Gomer Pyle, USMC? <laughs> you know, the guy, it was a funny, funny show at the time. And, you know, Jim Neighbors, he did a great job uh, trying to be obedient to everything. And there's always a moral at the end of the story. It was a good show. But God wants us to use our gift, but it is by his suggestion that we do. If we choose not to, know that our reward will be less. Why not just go full on? 
Uh, have you guys, who in here has bungee jumped? Two, two people. Who in here has been skydiving? Five, six of us have been skydiving. When you're skydiving, what do you have to do? You have to abandon everything. Jump, right? Same thing with the bungee jump. When you decide, okay, I'm going to go, you go. Have you guys seen the largest swing in the world in New Zealand? I don't know if you've seen that. It's like 900 feet. Yeah. Uh, And I've seen them. The people are going, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And the person who's assisting them goes, you're going. And they kick them off. 900 feet just down. And they get so small. You got to commit. You're in it all the way. You have no choice. You're going for the ride. This thing called uh, the dive devil at the fair. I did that once where they hike you way up. And they're going to swing you. And that's nothing. That's only like 100 feet up there. It's not very far at all. But when we're with Christ, we got to do the same thing. That's where you get the term reckless abandon. Okay, I'm going. And you just go with the Lord wherever he takes you. And I want to tell you, the ride is exciting. You're going, "Ah," you know, all the way down. You get kind of tense in what's taking place. But when you're all done, most of the people, when they get off, they go, that was great. You know, because the adrenaline rush. Most of the time laboring, laboring for the Lord, it's labor. And you get that 1% or 5% that comes along every so often, and it's enough just to keep you going. The Lord meets you. One of the missionary stories that was shared yesterday was a woman. Uh, They were captured by um, people down in Colombia. What was the name of the people? The FARC, F-A-R-C, right? And they're the communists and they didn't like the Christians because the Christians would not lie about their locations and who they were. And so they, they kidnapped this couple. And this couple, they were taken for several weeks at a time and they were killing Christian missionaries at this time. And this one woman and the husband, they were there and they were just getting tired and he was sick. Uh, he was not doing well. And the wife turned to God and said, God, I just need to know you're there. Can you please... Give me a grape soda. They're in the middle of the jungle. The FARC were holding them. And she said, Lord, that's, that's all I want. Just a cold grape soda in the middle of the jungle. And she goes, Lord, I, I'll just know that you're with us. That you're here. You're providing everything. You know what's going on. Lo and behold, she hears this sound of a boat coming up a river. This guy gets out with a cooler full of iced grape sodas. Gives it to the woman. And the woman had this grape soda. Only God can answer something like that. And so you get that encouragement. And I mean, at that point, when something small like that, all he asks is, Just a grape soda. That's all I want. And God answers that. A grape soda can cause you to be able to lay down your life for God. Simple things like that. God will will empower us. He will give us this word of encouragement. When we think that there's nothing else we can do, he comes along and he says, okay, I brought you right up to the point, and here you go. A little bit of a blessing, and you can continue from this point. But the only way to get to that point is be available for God to break us. If he breaks us, 
he can use us. That's what the gifts are all about. If we are exercising our gifts, he will whittle us like a woodcarver. He will take off what he wants, and it's painful. And when God is all done, you are an item fit for the master's use. Now, how could you not want that? And then when you get to heaven, if he's able to whittle you, if you're willing, if you're not that piece of wood that wants to jump out of his hand, your reward will be huge in heaven. And God will get the glory for it. That's supposed to be our motivation. So I want to encourage you guys this morning with these examples of these men who are able to build this tabernacle. They were skilled. You have gifts, and God wants to skill you. He wants to use you. He has a purpose and a position for you to pursue. You just have to ask him what it is, and when you finally find out, pursue it with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these two men that were called by you and the other craftsmen. You have shown yourself faithful in raising up those who have been called to a task and equipping them. And we know that we cannot do these things in the spiritual realm by ourselves. You are the one who provides the training and the know-how and the skill and the trial and the success. So, Father, we turn to you, all of us as a group, and we simply say we are willing Use us in whatever capacity you would like. We want to be fit for your use, submitted to you in all ways, recklessly abandoned to your will and your ways. In Jesus' name we pray this. And everyone said...